welcome adventurer to the Level Up Board Game Podcast, a show that uses your experiences and opinions to discuss board games and the gaming community. Join the heroes as they conquer perils such as meeples, cards, and miniatures, all in an effort to level up. You're listening to the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Adventures, welcome to episode 79 of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. This is just Patrick. Hey, King Scott here. And what you don't know is that we just did the first 15 minutes of this episode before I realized that I had not hit the record button. <laughs> yes, and let me tell you, Patrick was working blue big time. I mean, you would oh. you would think he was a sailor the way he was speaking here. Oh, right. No, well, you know what? This should sound lovely because we already have all of our talking points. Like we, this is going to flow like magic. Scott, you've been busy. We haven't had you on the show for nearly two, what's almost two months. It's got to be early November oh. by now. I had I had teacher Ryan join me, and we had a visit with Josh. It's nice to have you back. You got the soothing well, voice that brings people in. Oh, I don't know about a soothing voice, but I'm glad to be back here. Just getting ready to finish up my last week of work here coming up. So mm-hmm. we have a break. I don't know how extended of a break it's going to be, but we have a break. So it's going to be nice to kind of slow down, catch up some run, some rest. Once we came home from PAX, I came home on the train, got home, repacked my suitcase, said hi to my wife, went to bed, got up the next morning at six, was on the road again. So it's been, um, yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's, it's been a time. I got to ask, did you pick anything up at PAX? You and I haven't talked about PAX halls. I know, I know. And I keep on wanting to get the PAX hall up, but I did pick up a few things there. The Dune Imperium expansion. I picked up Lacrimosa, which I was dying to to, to get out. I have it on my table right now, learning how to play that one. Mm -hmm. And uh, picked up the last two girls from Final Girls Series 1 in preparation of waiting for Series 2 to come out here soon. Mm. I can't. uh, Unfortunately, I won't be able to play Lacrimosa with you. Oh, you have it too now? No, I'm Lacrimosa intolerant. After today, it's going to be a one adventure show with King Scott now. <laughs> We're going to do that. We're going to have you hold down an episode. That would, everybody would be like, oh, listen to this creamy voice. This guy's got it going. <laughs> you got the last two girls for Final Girl. That's wonderful. It's good. You're yes. complete now. Yeah, I'm complete with all that there. I have the figures for it, and uh, that's going to be going with me next week to play some solo games while I'm sitting in the hotel room. Just looking forward to just relaxing over Christmas week. That's going to be great. How was your haul from PAX? You know, it's kind of funny. I didn't, I didn't have much. I got John Company, uh, that Ryan, I told Ryan, Hey man, if, if you can find a copy of John Company, I'd love it. And he found one in the math trade. Uh, he got it for me for 110, which was pretty reasonable. So I said, mm-hmm. all right, I'm in literally three days later. Someone in the Pittsburgh group has it listed for 75 with the oh. coins. It's like, okay, this, uh, that's, that's of course, that's how these things go. But I didn't yeah. get a whole lot of packs because I spent my budget with tiny Fred, my, my yeah. dealer, right? So Tiny, he had a list of games he was looking to move on from, and uh, he I don't want to say he gave me first dibs, but I, I think he and I are kind of on that acquaintance level, like borderline friend level, uh-huh. where you know, he's willing to say, you know, to, to come to me first. Uh, and you know what? He's also got a, a good deal with me because, like, I'll hold on to the games and I'll play some games. And then, like, there have been times in the past where he's like, hey, if you still have that game, can I buy it back? And I give mm-hmm. it back to him at, co- like, he sells them pretty cheap enough that I could make some money, but... 
you know, he's doing me a favor. So it's, I think yeah. he knows he can get them back whenever I finish with them. And that's one of the perks of selling to me. So he gives me some dibs and I got all kinds of excellent, um, excellent games from him. I got uh, lands of Gowser out on the table. I got my father's work and Trudvang up on the shelf as well as uh dog park. I've been doing a good bit of dog park lately. So you're kind of like the pawn shop for tiny Fred. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, he, he gives it to me on loan. <laughs> <laughs> Best I can do is five bucks. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that that's good. I mean, yeah, he's he's definitely been a, a great friend of the show here, uh, getting us games that we might not have had a chance to play or anything. So, mm-hmm. Tiny Fred, we thank you. Scott, we've got a big episode today. We're going to keep it kind of quick with a recent place. We're going to be doing a review of Planet Unknown. We have our two-year recap, simple collection of stats and whatnot, plus a couple discussions that are, well, they're not really discussions. So whenever we put together our episode, we have at the very end of the the document, we say, okay, discussion. What do we want to talk about today? We've got to play catch-up because we did 10 reviews, and we have to do our top five of those most recent 10. Plus, this is like the first big episode of season three. We got to do our top 10 from last year oh boy well hey i got my stuff all set here to go so let's get this thing started so we can get to it yes sir hey everyone this is chris and this is jordan from familiars and foes and here's to another great year leveling up Scott, I want to lead off with one that we played together, so hopefully we can both attest to it, and that's a 2022 game from August Games designed by Don and Adrian Gilstrap called Backyard Chickens. The story with our getting this one. You remember uh, Rise of the Gnomes? They sent this with Rise of the Gnomes. Didn't ask for it or anything, and it was in the box as well. Mm-hmm. We're going to give this whirl. So, chickens. Yeah, you know you know my style. we got to talk a little bit about the theme of the game. Chickens oh, yes. can dream. Chickens have better color vision than humans. Chickens have great memories. You always hear about elephants having the memories. Apparently, chickens have great memories. And chickens bathe themselves by covering themselves in dirt. Yes, I did know that. I did know that. (laughs) All right. Let's talk a little bit about Backyard Chickens. We've got a deck-building game for two to five players where players compete to get the best flock of chickens, presumably in their backyard. Mm-hmm. So, hey, this, my sister-in-law has chickens in her backyard, so it's you know, not gonna, out of the question. We're going to put a pin in that because I'm actually—it's going to come full circle. You wait, uh, Scott. Okay. We've got a pure deck builder here, and when I say pure deck builder, okay, Clank's a deck builder, but it's got—it's got that board. You know, you're moving. There's more elements to it. Take episode five. We did Eschaton. Loved Eschaton. Ooh. It's a deck builder, but it's also area control. When we say pure deck builder, let's. Think Dominion, right? You are just building yes. the deck. That is the, the main mechanism of the game. The only. So each player starts the game with the same deck of cards that provide food and water. And you're also going to have two chicken cards, which provide you with eggs. Now, food and water are the resources that you're going to need to maintain your flock, while eggs serve as a currency to buy new cards. Or you can sell a ton of them for a point if the mood strikes you. And typically mm-hmm. near the end of the game, it makes perfect sense. Speaking of points, the goal of the game is to score the most. When someone reaches 10, there's one more round and then the scores are tallied. So what does a turn look like in Backyard Chickens? Pretty simple. You have your chicken cards in front of you as a tableau, and they have a food and a water requirement each turn that you have to pay. Otherwise, they're going to produce fewer eggs. They're going to get a little grumpy and potentially even run away. You get the egg production from your chickens after you've fed and watered them. 
Then you get to purchase from one of two markets, and that's one of the unique twists of this one. You have two markets to work with. The first one has your upgraded food and water cards, as well as some like items and abilities that alter your deck and make you unique. Like you might buy a card that when you play it, you get to purchase uh, for a two-egg discount, that sort of thing. The second market has the chickens, new chickens that you can buy that might have better production or potentially uh, worth more points. And of course, it's important to get more chickens for higher egg production so that you can buy even better cards, but also because they're worth points, you need them to win the game. Now, obviously, a bigger flock means you're going to need more food and water each turn, and I thought that made for a really good balance in this game. Now, the only varying factor is the start of each round, you're going to have an event card which alters play for that round. And I don't want to say these are things you might expect, because it makes it sound like I'm discarding it. They do shake up the game, and I love them. But they are things you might expect. Like this round, chickens all require one less water. And mm-hmm. that's a, a means of spicing up the game. I really like this one. Uh, for being a pure deck builder with the big differentiator for something like a Dominion being the point cards, like they're not going to gum up your deck. Here they're chickens, which you actively need. They have the recruiting costs, and they sit in front of you, so your deck is still that well-oiled machine. I, I like that here. Now, it's been a while since we had it to the table. We played this one with mm-hmm. Tom. What did you think about Backyard Chickens? This is one that I didn't think I was going to like. Because once again, Backyard Chickens... How good can it be? Um, it, it's it's definitely a judging book by its cover. Uh-huh. But uh, I did really enjoy this. There were more difficult decisions in this than I really thought there would be. Now, it's not one of those things that you're going to suffer from AP in it or anything like that. But uh-huh. it's one that you really do have to think what's going to be the best way to get that engine going and make the most out of this gameplay. It looked great on the table. It had a nice appearance. It was definitely a hidden gem that a lot of people might overlook whenever you see backyard chickens. It's it's a tough selling point to get past that. But once you do, there is an <laughs> awesome game in there. And there most certainly is. And you know what? You're right. I hadn't even heard of this until they sent. I mean, I hadn't heard of Rise of the Gnomes until Will said, hey, this game is yeah. really good. Turns out backyard chickens was, was a lot of fun, too. Did you notice all the chickens? Uh, a little something special about each one. They all had their own personal names. <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm going to let Greta. <laughs> she's going to get fed her favorite treat. So she's going to be super happy and produce an extra egg each turn. How charming is that? I feel bad right now because I should have thought about this earlier and contact my sister-in-law, asked her the names of her her chickens. I can't oh. remember them because she has them all named separately as well. I said I'd come full circle to the name uh, Nikki. You know Nikki from you yes. know, the famous Nikki's Basement. She has chickens in her backyard. She saw it on the shelf. She was like, what is that and how do I get it? And I said, let me play it a handful of times. Let me talk about it on the show, and I'll pass it on to you. I know Nikki. It is still sitting on the shelf unplayed. I'm going <laughs> to probably have to show her at the next meetup in Nikki's basement. Oh, most certainly, most certainly. Hi, adventurers. It's Stephen Skippy Brown, designer of Lunar Rush, published by Dead Alive Games. Have another great year. Now, I've been away for quite some time, so I haven't been able to experience the true board game experience at the table or anything. So I've had to go back and rely on BGA quite a bit, Board Game Arena. So someone invited me into a game of Welcome To, and this was one I haven't played. I have it somewhere in this house, and I haven't played in quite some time, and it was like, 
this was a charming game to get back to. It is designed by Benoit Turpin and published by Blue Cocker Games. It's a game where you have a layout of a fenced-in community. So you have three lines or three streets of houses. There's one of 10, one of 11, and one of 12. Now, the idea is you want to try and get the most points, more points than your opponents, and you want to put in the numbers on these houses so they go from going ascending order. Now, then the other ones that have symbols, you can work things out here where you can add pools. If there's a pool on the map and you have that number and you have a pool, you can add a pool. Maybe you want to add a park to this street so you can add a park. Maybe you're trying to add to the real estate value of certain numbers of houses that are clumped together. So you can do that as well. The whole time you're playing this and just trying to figure out how you want to lay things out and make this community work out the best. It's okay. really quite simple. It's it's really well designed. Now, then the final thing that you go for is there are blueprints. So you can have blueprints where you need to have a group of one houses that are fenced in, three houses, and five houses. Well, if you're the first one to get that done, you'll get 10 extra points. If you're the second one, you may get six points. So not only are you playing against your opponents, you're playing against the deck of cards as to how they come out and what order they come out in and trying to make this community as efficient as possible. It doesn't take long to play, eh, 20 minutes, 25 minutes, something like that tops. I find myself a lot of times whenever I have a few minutes kicking back between a load of laundry or getting stuff out of the dishwasher, I will just sit down, pop this on, play it real quick, and then I'm off doing something else. It's a great little filler game. It's not one that you're going to anchor a game night to, but it's a great game to have on hand. And big thing, if you get it, be sure to laminate the maps that you have. Oh, Granted, you have about 100 of them, but it's so much better to do that. Dry erase markers, wipe it off, and start all over again. Really a great game. Now, have you played this one before? You know what? I haven't. It's, oh, uh, really? I actually got it as a Christmas present for my buddy Jeremy from the old lobster group, and I was like, oh, he'll yes. bring it over, and I'll get to play sometime. Still haven't played it. Uh, <laughs> okay. <laughs> Here's my big question. Well, a couple of them. First of all, I'm guessing there's not a whole lot of interaction. It being a flip and right, it's probably you're left to your own devices to try and outscore the other. Pretty player. much so. Yes. Yes. And that's fine. That's pretty standard for flip and rights, roll and rights, etc. But my big question for this one, this was sort of at the beginning of the roll and right craze. It was early on. Now, we've done Merchants of Magic. We're all but certain to have a cartographer's extravaganza episode Mm -hmm. in the very near future. How does this hold up? This is a 2018 game. You know, we, we, I just did paper dungeons chatting with Josh. You know, we, we've Mm -hmm. played so many at this point. How does it hold up? I actually think this is one of those ones. And, and once again, I'm getting into the touchy feely thing that, that King Scott likes to do. This is one of those games that you don't have to overthink the rules. You don't have to really, Sit there and like, oh, what do I have to do now? What do I have to do now? You just get into it 
and you just let it flow over you. You just mm-hmm. play the game. And that's one of those things that I love. I love being able to sit down and play the game and not have a lot of overhead with that come along with it as far as the setup and the relearning of the rules and explaining rules to everyone. You can kind of sit down. You can play this thing solo if you want to. It's very, very simple to do this. So it's one of those things that it's just that warm blanket here that you get wrapped up in and play the game again. So I think it still holds up. Now they've gone on and they've made all sorts of expansions. To this mm-hmm. welcome to Vegas. Welcome to Christmas village. Welcome to the moon. They have out now. <laughs> there is a welcome to the zombie apocalypse. I mean, there's all little things that they've added on to this, but still the base game is still a good time to play. And it's somewhere in your house right now, which begs the question. I'm looking at your screen and I see, is that a castle hanging from the ceiling? What is that behind your head? That most certainly is a castle hanging from the ceiling. That was a friend uh, from a friend of ours at the Renaissance Festival. Ah. Uh, They had a booth there and they gave us this little basket with that there. You put candles in and light up and everything. And for some reason, my wife put it up there. I do not know why. (laughs) We've just always had it. It's just been a, a wonderful thing of looking at it and remembering him and actually that was the same person that he was on Penn and Teller's Fool Us, and oh, he yeah. fooled Penn and Teller. No kidding. Yes, he did. So he oh, got wow. the Fool Us award for that for that show. So it was great seeing him on there. Scott, I need to refill the coffee. So let's take a moment. We actually have a submission for a game. So let's listen in, see what this adventure has got to say. My most recent adventure has been playing an advanced copy of a tabletop card game called Homeland. What's really fun about this game, it's two to six players. Each player comes from a distinct homeland. That homeland has a unique climate and terrain. The rest of the game, you spend having an ante or barter phase where you're ultimately trading these resource cards to come up with who has the strongest homeland at the end of the game. Some cards have stronger effects in certain climates. Others have better effects effects in, you know, certain terrains. And then ultimately there's a lot of mix and match and play between the two. Uh, what I really like about this game is it's great for new players. You can learn the rules in under 60 seconds. Um, and I've had a lot of success with, uh, converting people who only play cards against humanity. This, this is a good gateway game, you know, to get them into more serious board game strategy games. Um, so yeah, the, the game's called Homeland. I've had a ton of fun with it. It's being released by Pocketable Games. And if you go to their Kickstarter, there's a two minute summary of how to play Homeland. You know, that sounds kind of interesting. This is one that I want to give a look. I'm curious. I want to play this and see what he's got going on. Uh, you know what? I love getting these, these contributions. It turns us on to things that we wouldn't otherwise hear about or perhaps not hear about on other shows. Yeah. The number of times, like I've said here, even tonight, I may look at a box and it may just be not my thing that I'd look at the box and think, eh, I'm not really into it. But there could be a great game in there. So hearing from you guys on games that we might not even know about, it's great to have that information. So please share away with us. Hey, it's Eric McCoy from Doomlings. Here's to another year of leveling up. In fact, here's to another 50 years. You hear that, guys? They've promised 50 more years of level up. So uh, good luck. Happy New Year. 
Now, during my time at PAX and being at uh, the Game Toppers booth, we were mm-hmm. right next to the first look area. Yeah. So just like a puppy dog in a kennel looking out longingly <laughs> at people having fun in the outside world, I saw the four of you sitting down and playing, what was it, Findorf? Findorf or Findorf or fin- F-I-N-D-O-R-F-F. Two F's at the end, and this is a Friedman Freeze game from 2022. I think it was released at Essence. So it was in the first look at PAX. Mm. Boy, I didn't think about it. Having your booth right next to that first look, that's a blessing and a curse. I mean, you guys are going to get all kinds of foot traffic, but, oh, man, all day you have to talk about game toppers, and you get to see people playing all these wonderful new games. Oh, oh yeah, I saw everyone over there playing Lacrimose. I'm like, I just want to learn. But, nope. I'm learning on my own, but still, it was very rewarding to work there. So tell me, what did you get out of this Friedman Freeze green box of goodness of Findorf? Adventures, I want you to imagine for a moment that you're at a lavish party, right? Not a board game meetup, a party. All right, all right. We're at a party. We can pretend, right? Think of all the flashy things that folks are wearing, right? Collars are popped, shoes are shined, sequin dresses sparkling in the light, and champagne is flowing. Oh, we're going like all old 80s? Oh, think like disco, like people are dressed up. Yeah, flashy, flashy. Studio 54, the cocaine and everything. (laughs) This is a family show. (laughs) (laughs) Whilst at said party in the corner, you see this dude wearing cargo pants and a plain polo shirt that's tucked in when the pants are pulled up like three inches too high. All right. That's Findorf. (laughs) (laughs) That was the longest road to a description I think I've ever heard. Boom. In an age of gaming where you've got adorable dragons of flamecraft and the birds of wingspan, the buildings of tapestry, the color palette of Spirit Island, and the immersion of Nemesis, Findorf comes strolling in, both middle fingers proudly on display. Dude, this game is brown with a hint of pale green with some beige, some tan, and for good measure, a little more brown. It's got the captive table presence of a dirty napkin. <laughs> wow. But late Friday night at PAX, after a delicious dinner with Explorer Josh and his family, we found ourselves seated in the first look section right across from our dear King Scott, gearing up for a game of Findorf. Okay, thematically, Findorf is a town in Germany, and in the game, you're building the rails that go through it, and you're constructing the historic buildings and the homes of the town. Scott, at its core, this is an economic game. All right. And it's also an action, we'll say an action building game. And this was fairly unique. Mm. I really like this part. You've got this little card that shows your five actions that you take in a turn. The very first one is purchase. And one of the things you can purchase amongst many things is a little tab that you put on. Okay, so you've got your card. And down the card on the right side, it's got these five tabs that represent the action. All right. You can buy a little tab to put next to your card. Well, tile it is. So whenever I go to the uh, I want to get population, I want to hire workers, I may hire one. Unless I bought a tab to slide next to the card. Now I may hire two. And I can continue to buy more of those tabs. I can buy seven of them if I want. It's probably not wise, but you have control over how many times you want to be able to do any given action. Everybody in the play, you're not going to win the game if you don't 
if you don't, uh, we'll say embellish those actions, add to okay. them in some capacity, you might be producing stuff like a champ, producing all kinds of rails that you can sell and build houses. But whenever it gets to the sell action where you may sell your rails, if you can only sell one thing, well, it doesn't matter if you have seven uh, uh, seven rails to sell, you're stuck. Right. So you're going to have to – a lot of game around building the actions. So what's happening is uh, okay. think – Power grid. Okay, I got some shades of power grid. What with all the right, uh, right. yeah, no, I I figured that would get you. <laughs> okay, think how power grid is kind of a, a bidding game, but an economic game. You're you're not calculating, right. but you're trying to figure out. I need to make this money to build these plants in order to make more money, etc. Wash, rinse, repeat. This has two markets. It has peat, which peat is. Uh, I guess peat's like a wood or something that you burn. What's peat? Oh. You're a smart man. I always thought of peat as like peat moss or mold or something. Peat is my enemy whenever it comes to scotch. Because uh -huh. peat is what they do to burn to get that smoky flavor and everything. So it's, it's, uh, um, yeah, that's it what it is, thing? like peat moss and everything. So it's the same thing. Yes. Okay. So apparently in order to heat this town in like the turn of the century, 1900 or prior to, apparently peat was integral in heating this town. So there is a market at the bottom of the board, just like the, uh, what is it, the coal and the oil in power grid? It's got that exact right. oh, yeah, same thing yeah. at the bottom of the board, but it's with peat. Now, the board, imagine if you will, the used soiled napkin that is not very appealing at all. The board has these two tracks. One goes whoop, right up through the middle, and the other one goes just a little bit off to the side. And throughout the okay. game, one of the ways that you can be economically powerful and generate your income, and this was my approach, was get really good at making rails and start building rails because those two railways going across the board, each one, of it, they're made up of like little segments and you actually have a little wooden piece. That's the one credit I'll give this game is that you've got a little rail piece. It's, it's wood, it's black. It feels like a rail and it looks good you, as you see mm -hmm. it develop on the board. You can sell those rails and that's the game's timer. Once the rails okay. are entirely complete, one more round and the game's over. You get a hand of cards at the start of the game. These cards represent some of the historic buildings that were built in this town, this Findorf town. They were built at various times, right? The one that was built in 1932, it would make a whole lot of thematic sense if you could build that before the one that was built in 1880, right? So what the game does right. is obviously the earlier built buildings are a little bit cheaper, but there's also a, like a little time track on the right side of the board that represents years. Anytime somebody builds a building, you know, you have the resources for the card. So I'm going to take uh, my build action and I have the resources for this card. You put the card down in front of you. It gives you something asymmetric. It might give you a one-time bonus. Sometimes it says you get an extra action whenever you hit this phase. Sometimes it just says, you know, when you take income, you get more. Point is that little slider for the years will move up. So eventually what happens is if the 1896 building hasn't been built yet, it's $5 cheaper. Somebody oh, builds okay. another building, it slides up again. It's, you know, th the buildings get cheaper as time goes on so that you're roughly following the historical timeline that they were built. This game was good. This game was really good. I was baffled when I, when I sat down as like, you were this... all baffled. It looked like yes, yes, because it does, it does so little, uh, as far as like curb appeal. And I'm not. I, I guess I'm, I haven't played enough Friedman Freeze to say that, like, I'm a fan or not. I like right. Power Grid, but beyond Power Grid, like, nothing has blown me away. I haven't played that much. So I don't know if I'm a fan or not. 
Mm-hmm. I'm a fan of this game. It was a lot of fun, and I instantly thought, you know who's going to love this game? Lukak. Jason. He's going to oh. love this game. That is my number one record. He's going to absolutely play the heck out of this thing. <laughs> it's going to be hard to recommend to most gamers. You know, I think for a lot of folks, if I had this set up in the basement for when the lobsters came over, I would get some looks like, really? This is what we're doing? If I took this over to play with uh, with Mike and, and my brothers, I think I'd right. get the, the look like, this is what it's come to, you nerd. <laughs> <laughs> But it's good. It's really good. There's asymmetry from play to play. There's, I think that there are branching strategies that you can go for. I'm actually going to be keeping my eyes out to pick up a copy. Well, I know that you were all kind of him hawing around trying to figure it out. But then it seemed like once it clicked, it clicked for all of you. And yeah, you all case. had a good time playing it. It was the case of too many, uh, what are they, too many cooks? Too many, uh, oh, uh, yes, yes. Too many bubbas spoil the soup. So too many we chiefs. Had, not a, yeah. Yeah. We had a Pax Enforcer going through the rule book, plus Josh looking at the rule book, plus Andrew, plus me. Like <laughs> when, it, when push came to shove, it is a four page rule book. It's dense, yes, but everything is laid out nice and neat. Uh, it was just, you know, we were getting a little bit from one person, a little bit from another person. It was really hard to piece together exactly what you're doing on a turn. Like, like right. you know how you finish a rule book and you're like, okay, I think I understand what's going on. I'm going to attempt to take a first turn. And this is how I approach it. Whenever I want to teach you guys a game, I'll sit in my basement. I'll play it by myself. And I get through the rule book. Mm-hmm. I'm like, okay, Pat, let's emulate a turn here. And sometimes it's like, I don't even know what the first thing I'm supposed to do is. That's kind of where we were. Yeah, it seems to be difficult with some of those things. You look at it, and it's like you have so many options. And it's like, where do I get? I just want to get started. Uh, so, yeah, that, that's good. Overall, excellent game. Do not let the lack of curb appeal fool you. If you like a good economic game, a tight game that rewards you for thinking a turn or two ahead, I think you're going to like Findorf. Very good. That sounds pretty awesome there for Findorf. Welcome to another edition of Okay, Patrick, it's time. We're going to sell you the whole seat, but you only need the edge. Oh, I love it. What's Two got games enter, one game leaves. Are you ready? I'm ready. Hit me with it. All right. Now, then, we all heard your thoughts on War Room whenever you played, played it and talked with Ryan about it. Oh, and yeah. we know you like Axis and Allies. Oh, don't do this, Scott. <laughs> oh, I'm doing it. Oh. And part of playing room, uh, War Room was trying to capture the magic of Axis and Allies whenever right. we used to play it at the apartment and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So we stack them up against each other. War Room on one side, Axis and Allies on the other. One can play at any time with anyone. It'll be ready to go. The other, you can play no more. I'm not ready. I'm not ready. Oh, Scott, good one. Oh, good. Two games enter. One game leave. This is 
Tough. Okay, so Axis and Allies, it started with the old 1986 Milton Bradley, and we got hooked on that version, and that turned into the Pacific version, which is excellent, by the way. The mm-hmm. Europe version, also excellent. Love it. Uh, and th- now, whenever we play Axis and Allies, it's typically the anniversary edition, the big – they it came out like 15 years ago, and they had limited copies. Actually, I traded Anthony a box of Modern Masters Magic cards. Uh, okay. The very first Modern Masters, like, yeah, I'll trade you a box for for your copy because it was like three hundred bucks at the time. I was like, okay, we're both doing okay. They've <laughs> since reproduced copies uh, of the game, and now when we play, we play the Anniversary Edition, which is a little bit bigger, uh, takes a little bit longer, uh, but again, we've played it enough that uh, that we know what we're doing and we love it. So, enter War Room. Oh, okay, so. Let's start here. We've got two very different games. Axis and Allies is uh, an, it's an area control game and it's an economic game where you're purchasing pieces, uh, as you wish, right? War Room is more of a hidden planning game where you've got the giant map and you've got to allocate your movements prior to knowing what everyone else is allocating. Think diplomacy, mm-hmm. right? Oh man, that's tricky. That's tricky. Which one? Which one? If I had to, well, pick I wasn't going to make it something simple. You know, it was nah, going to have to be that's, tough. That's how we do this. I think maybe what makes it really hard is that they are two different games uh, that capture two different feelings. Uh, if you just said like A and A versus Risk, I could <laughs> come on. Oh yeah, I'm going to go with Axis and Allies Anniversary Edition, and the reason oh. being because. I think when I went for War Room and I was trying to capture that magic, War Room plays differently enough that it was not the same thing. It was a, a, a very good game, a fun time, but it was not the magic that I was trying to capture. And moving mm. forward, if I could only play one and never again play the other, I think I'd go with Axis and Allies Anniversary Edition. There is no right or wrong in this, but it's it's interesting to see where your loyalties lay there. Oh, I feel dirty. I didn't now, know how like hard to, that was. I'd like to throw this out to adventurers. Throw us a couple here. Throw us with, like, two games enter, one game leaves. You give us two games, and we're going to have to fight over it as to who's going to be the one that remains. So you know anxious what? to hear from you guys. Remind me, Scott. I will put it in the guild. I will make the post in the guild so adventures, if you're listening, first of all, BGG Guild, if, if you're listening on your phone, if you click on the info for this episode, you can see links to our Facebook, Instagram. <laughs> you can see Scott sleeping on the trade, sleeping at PAX uh, in our Instagram. <laughs> uh, plus, you can also get to our BGG Guild. We'd love to have you there. Is, is this the top 100? Well, you forget already. You've been gone that long. I, I was just uh, nervous. I didn't know if it was the top 100 or not. Please, Why are you uh, talking so soft? I haven't been here a while. I don't want to act like I, I, I know what I'm doing. So please go along, Mr. Patrick. Give us okay. the top 100. Scott, it's an easy one this week. We've got Prime Movers Kanban EV is up three spots to number 70. Falling Stars Mark Hybo down two to number 48. I really like that one. I'm surprised to see it yes. already on the on the decline. Top 10 trends, Spirit Island is in at number 10. Uh, I think they were flip-flopping last week. New highest peaks. These games are higher than they've ever been. Oh, the first two, they were kind of compared with each other, and you're going to be so happy to hear. Dune Imperium went up again. Scott, it's at number 13. Yeah. I think could crack the top 10. Dune Imperium could be a top 10 game. 
And this was one I expected really nothing from because I thought they had a game laying around. They just threw an IP on it. But no, this game is solid. And they're still expanding. I can't wait to try Immortality with you. Right yes. behind it, Lost Ruins of Arnak, number 29, mm. higher than it's ever been. The Crew Mission Deep Sea has long since passed uh, the, the previous The Crew. This one is at number 42. Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, The Climb, continues up to number 62. The aforementioned Kanban EV at number 70. And Cthulhu, Death May Die, it cracked the list not too long ago. It's up to number 92. One birthday this time, Dominant Species, 12 years in the top 100. I can't believe that, but wow, that's good for them. Scott, we've got a review that I've been looking forward to. It's one that we had the chance to play prior to, and at the meetup, we played it on Sovereignty. Let's do a walkthrough, and let's talk Planet Unknown. Yes, and let's talk about Lazy Susans. Designed by Ryan Lambert and Adam Reberg and published in 2022 by Adam's Apple Games, Planet Unknown challenges one to six players to do the best job of developing a planet for habitation. Let's keep this walkthrough simple, beginning with the setup. Each player gets a planet board depicting a planet with a grid on it, and a technologies board with five different advancement tracks on which you'll be gaining various upgrades. The main feature of the game is the space station in the center of the table. This is a large rotating piece that houses tiles. Specifically, the space station has six sections, and in each section there are two stacks of Tetris-style pieces. On a turn, the Leap player is going to rotate the space station to their choosing, and every player simultaneously selects a polyomino-shaped piece from the section of the space station in front of them. This piece is placed onto the board, and depending on the color of the piece, you get to move up one of the five advancement tracks on your technology board. The first player token passes, and play continues. It's truly that simple. Now, there are some other rules at play to be aware of. Some of the shapes have a meteor symbol on them, which, when placed on your planet board, they'll have a meteor piece on them. This basically is going to gum up scoring unless you remove it with your rover. Rovers? They're unlocked, and they move when you advance on the rover track, which simply, it's one of the five advancement tracks you might opt to move up during play. The game ends when someone completes their planet board, or takes a piece on their turn that they can't legally place onto their planet. At this point, players will score for each full row and column on their planet, except for those which have a meteor. Plus, you'll get points for removed meteors, removed life pods, things that your rover scooped up, and finally, when we set up the game, a scoring card was placed in between each player. Something simple like whoever has the most green tiles on their board scores five bonus points. This is strictly between you and your neighbor. You'll have a different card for the other neighboring player. The highest score is deemed to have created the best planet and wins the game. Now, of course, there's plenty more going on in this one. For example, each of the five tracks does something different. Each planet board has an alternate asymmetric side, as do the technology boards, and the civilization track offers tech cards that can unlock points or asymmetric powers. Now, this is a robust game with a simple rule set, and I hope this walkthrough gives you an idea of how it's going to play out when it hits your table. How did we feel about it when it was on ours? Let's find out level up style in the 8-bit breakdown of... Planet Unknown. The assumption that habitable planets and extraterrestrial life are abundant has inspired not only the SETI program, but also the new science of astrobiology and the search for biological evidence of living organisms past and present. 
Since 1995, this search has extended beyond our solar system as astrobiologists have identified more than 100 planets orbiting nearby stars. Each of them is a gas giant, much like Jupiter. While few scientists believe that these alien worlds can sustain even simple life, their discoveries represent important steps toward answering a question that will shape astronomy in the 21st century. Are habitable planets rare or common in the universe? Alright Adventures, it's that time. We're going to do our 8-bit breakdown of today's review game, Planet Unknown. We're going to start with art and components and finish with was it fun and who's it for. Let's lead it off, Scott. Bit number one, the art and components of Planet Unknown. Lazy Susan. I'm done. <laughs> uh, uh, right no, to the elephant no. in, in the room. all seriousness, the art and components of this are really very well done. You have the the planets. Everyone has a planet. Wow, that's simple. But wait, you can flip it over. You all have different planets. You yeah. all have corporations. There you go. You're all set to go. Wait, flip it over. You all have different corporations. There's a lot of things in this that change things up, and they really did a great job with the artwork. It looks mm -hmm. really, really great here. The main thing, like I said, is the Lazy Susan. That works out so well because whenever you're playing it, you can turn it one click to, or is it more than one click or? So as, as it goes, if you go back and listen to my walkthrough, Scott, you'll know that when you are the captain, when you are the first player, you get to pick any side of it, any one of the slots and rotate it to yourself. So it's not going to yes. be one click. You get to pick and then everybody else has to work with what's directly in front of them. They get to pick one of the two tiles from that section only. Now, this was something that they could have very easily just done on a flat piece of cardboard, put some little dividers on there or something like that. Mm -hmm. But no, they actually went the extra step to make this Lazy Susan and even made it look like a dome city with that dome over top of it. Yeah, and yeah. as you turn it, it works out beautifully. So they really went above and beyond with the components on this. And the art, really nice job on it. So the Lazy Susan, for sake of thematics, that's the space station. It's got those 14 slots in seven, we'll say, pie slices, each with a pair of polyomino shapes, Tetris shapes, right? Uh, the, it's a plastic housing, and it rotates. And for sake of gameplay and for looks on the table, it does pop. I like that the tiles have their appropriate colors, but also symbols. Uh, those symbols matter for various goals, uh, but and, and I really can't speak to like color blindness or anything. But I feel mm -hmm. like if you were, those symbols would help you to differentiate. Oh, this one's gray, this one's black, this one's green, that one's red, because every single color somewhere on it is going to have the symbol of that type. Right. You mentioned the tech boards; they're double sided, uh, which is cool, but they are they're also inset, so your tracking cubes fit neatly. It is a double sided inset board. Uh, mm -hmm. Always appreciated, even though I think, I don't know, Scott, I think more and more that's kind of become the standard. I, I don't think yeah, that you that get bonus points for an inset board anymore. I think you just lose points if you don't have it. Yeah, I think it's one of those things that was a big upgrade for games. And now then it's just getting to the point where I think they're learning how to make them cheaper and not as expensive as mm -hmm. they were before. And it is becoming more and more prevalent. 
Scott, I did have one gripe with the art and components, and maybe I'm doing something wrong here, but whenever I put the space station away, uh, I put all the tiles in it so that I can just pop it out of the box and I'm ready to mm-hmm. go. Every time I open that box, there's tiles everywhere. Oh, yes, you did say that. Yes. I think I might take a piece of plastic wrap, like saran wrap, and just keep it in the box so I can like cover it each time to hold all the pieces. And I can't think of another way. Uh, maybe I'm doing something wrong. Adventures, if you know Planet Unknown and you figured it out, or a friend, maybe on the underside of the space station there's like a cover and I'm just missing it. <laughs> I don't think so, though. So I'm having this issue where any time – I played this over at Jim- – well, I took it over to Jimmy's house. And his wife's like, oh, that looks neat. And she went to like pick it up and flip it over to look at the back of the oh, box. It was like, it was like slow motion. It was like mm-hmm. – let's get to bit number two theme and immersion so the earth is out of resources and we're trying to terraform other planets for human habitation i think there's other this one in particular game that comes to mind with that exact same theme but i like it i think it ties in nicely with the need to see advancements and gain tech throughout your play And honestly, I was a little bit immersed, like being able to see Mm -hmm. the meteorites, like physically adding them to your board, moving your rover and scooping them up. Like you don't feel like you're terraforming a planet, but you get to interact with the pieces. I like that. What do you think? Theme and immersion. Well, the theme, yeah, I can understand the theme. Immersion, I got to say, I did not feel immersed at all. This just felt like you're going through playing a Tetris game. You're putting things out. Whenever you put certain things out, oh, you get this and put it over here on your uh, corporation thing. Oh, you do this, move up one of your blocks on the corporation track. It didn't really make me feel like I was doing something with terraforming. It was just, I'm going through the motions. Now, it doesn't mean I didn't enjoy it, but I just didn't feel like I was in the game of that. It felt mechanism forward to you. Yes, yes, very much so there. Now, We have complexity. This is not really that complex of a game. No, not at all. Uh, I was worried that I wouldn't remember exactly how to play it. But as I played and I played like hmm, two, three turns, it all came back all at once. And it was very, very simple to get back in. This is what I liked about it because it has the look of being a super complex game Mm -hmm. with all those tracks and all those symbols all over thing. But it's really not. So in a way, this is going to sound really, really stupid here, but in a way you sound or feel more clever, more smart than what you really are. No, that's not how I want to word it. <laughs> you, you feel more clever than what you would normally feel playing a game like this because there's so much going on and it has such an appearance on the tabletop. People are going to look at that and like, wow, that's, that looks like a big game, but it's really not. So. What did you yeah, think of it? Complexity is light. I agree. I think I've taught this to about a dozen people now. Uh, it is easy to teach. The captain rotates a space station. Everybody gets a tile. Place your tile. Advance on a track. If you hit a bonus, apply it. If you get a meteor, add it to your tile. Easy. Scoring simply based on filling up your planet. Some Civ cards. And the card between you and your opponent. You just kind of mm-hmm. learned how to play the game. It, yes. It's, there's a lot going on in this game for a pretty easy rule set. And we'll get into some of that in the meat. But first, let's talk rulebook and learning curve. Uh, I did the rulebook. So this one, nice large pages, plenty of pictures, plenty of examples. And if we ever had a rule issue, and th- this was... 
This is like the, ah, yes, this is a good rule book. This is a way to stamp the rule book into my heart and make me love it. If there's an issue in the play, it's easy to find the resolution. Mm -hmm. uh, that might be the most important aspect to me. And Planet Unknown's rule book didn't disappoint. What do you think on the learning curve? You said that it was easy to jump back in. You learned this back at Origins. You're playing it on Sovereignty. That is correct. Yes, I did play it on Sovereignty. So that kind of helped you, held your hand as you were playing it. Mm -hmm. Coming into the physical version, you didn't have that. But still, whenever we went through it, oh, you do this. All right. And you can do this. Okay. And that was pretty much it. So it's mm -hmm. very, very easy to pick up. Uh, once again, it's one of those games where I have to say it looks more difficult than what it really is. And sometimes. Sure. That's what you want. You want to have those great big decisions to make, but it's not something that you're going to be sitting there racking your brain for a long period of time to do it. The rule set doesn't get in the way of making all of those decisions. There you go. I like it. I like it. Let's talk meat of the game. We're saying this is a relatively simple to understand game, but Scott, there's, there's a lot of meat in this game and it comes in, in several areas. And you know what I think? You know why I think this is a, a meaty game is because it's like micro decisions out of a fire hose. Okay, so let's start here. When you're the yes, captain. Yes, please explain that one there. <laughs> <laughs> there. Well, there's choices, a ton of choices at all times. So when, when you're the captain, instead of a choice between two tiles, you have all those stacks at your – all 12 stacks. I think I said seven pie slices earlier. There's six. You have all 12 stacks at your disposal. So you have a big decision every time you're the start player. And even when you're not the start player, you've got to pick between two different tiles that presumably each have two different colors and are two different shapes. The tile that you select, now you've got to find the right spot on the board where you're going to put it. you got to put it in a good spot, bearing in mind where your rover is. Are there meteors on it? Are there any life pods on the board? Oh, and don't forget, you're going to get an advancement based on which tile you selected and, and you know, what the color is on it. You're going to move up one of those tracks. So which one do you move up? On top of that, you've got a little competition with each of your direct neighbors with the scorecard that's in between the two of you. Right. You can shape your play based on the advancement that you go up, which, again, is directly linked to the tile you select. So while the action of taking a tile, like the rule set of the game, take a tile, put it on your planet, move up a track, there are so many implications based on each of those. And that's why I felt like it was like, ooh, there's a ton of little decisions that add up to the big grandiose game. To me, that's that's the meat in Planet Unknown. What did you think? Well, for me, I think that the meat of the game was really your corporation board, mm -hmm. where you have to – granted, yes, you make your decisions on what pieces you're going to play, okay. and then it will go on your corporation board. But you have to keep an eye on that as to when you're going to get those bonuses, where you're going to get your extra rover, where you're going to be getting extra resources, different things like that. So I think that was really the biggest thing there. And especially whenever you play with the asymmetric corporations, yeah. that's whenever it gets really, really tricky because nothing's going to be the same for anybody. So you really need to keep an eye on that section there in order to get the most out of what you're trying to do. So I think that's where the meat the game really lies. It's surprisingly got a lot of depth for such a simple rule set. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Now, the replay and variability of this. Now, replayability, sure, you're going to be able to replay this because you're going to put in 
those pieces in different orders. Every time you clean up, you spin it around. You don't know what side's going to be in front of you. So you have a, a lot of replayability. You can play with that a lot, plus the variability with that. This is one I think I could play quite a bit, to be honest, because the variability really plays into it with you're going to play with this planet and this corporation. Mm-hmm. Then you want to play with the basic planet and a different corporation. And then the basic corporation and a different planet. You've got so much variability built into this. And it's one that they could easily throw out an expansion for it with different planets. Oh, yeah. Ab- so very, very easily in different uh, corporations. It will be very, very simple to do this and not be overly expensive and make those expansions not expensive to add on to this game because there's not much to it. They've really got a nice base to build upon here. What were your thoughts on it? Well, every game is the same, but it still matters which tiles you take, which mm-hmm. ones you do take, like where you place them. Every game you decide which advancement tracks to prioritize. What you were saying with the meat of the game, even if you're not using the asymmetric sides of those boards, everybody's using the same side for their their advancement boards. I might be looking to go up the sieve track while you're going up that greenery track. And that's going to give us two very different results. Every game you've got a new puzzle to solve with the placements, the advancements, and the rovers. Then you factor in the alternate planet boards. Uh, you said it, it comes with six identical planets, but then you flip it over and you've got six unique. The Kickstarter version, I believe, has a dozen. Same thing with the advancement track board. Six and six, and I think a dozen in the Kickstarter version. We, for what it's worth, are reviewing the retail version. You mm-hmm. figure the game takes like an hour, and I think that makes it extra replayable. Because you finish it, re-rack it, and it's, okay, let's go again. You know, it's Arc Nova's a tremendously replayable game, but it's not one that you finish and you re-rack it and you tie no, it back no, in. No, no. It's it's so long. This one you could do it two, three times in a game day and have a really good time with it. It's a game that is replayable enough that I think it's going to be in the collection for a while. Yeah, it doesn't overstay its welcome. That's mm-hmm. a, one of our big things there. We always like to say in that you play it and maybe it is an hour, but it never feels like it. And that is definitely an upside of this game. Let's talk bit number seven, the downsides. Now, I couldn't identify much, so I'm going to take the floor here. I suppose that when you're not the captain, you have to pick from two tile stacks only. And there's a chance that you could just repeatedly get tiles that don't have the advancement that you're looking for, or maybe tiles that have meteorites that you didn't want. That can happen, but like that's part of the game. It's not like, oh, I didn't get to play. You know what I mean? Um, Mm -hmm. And the space station tiles falling out. (laughs) When transporting, <laughs> I, I had to put that on there too. That was, uh, uh, again, I think I'm going to use plastic wrap unless I'm just being a dumb dumb. I can't think of a lot of downsides to this game. It's approachable. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It has plenty of variety, a ton of depth for how easy it is. Eh, not much to say. Yeah, not much to say. <laughs> yeah, and that's another thing. I mean, I don't have much to say down about this. It doesn't mean that it's a game that has completely shaken the foundation of gaming as we know it. I guess it doesn't do anything new. Like, oh, I've never seen that before. So it it does a nice job with it. Well, it does have Lazy Susan, which is pretty darn cool. I think, Um, well, okay, fair (laughs) enough. As far as the downside goes, you're right. There's nothing I can really think of it being a downside, really. There's nothing that makes me think, oh, they should have changed this, they should have changed that. 
but it's not something, like I said, that's going to revolutionize gaming as we know it. So it's just kind of right there in the middle. It's happy to be where it is, and I'm happy to be where it is, too. So that said, Scott, bit number eight, was it fun, and who's it for? Well, yes, it was fun, very much fun. It's not in-law approved, but I would say it's special in-law approved. (laughs) So the in-laws that like to play games would definitely be in on this. It's very simple to, to teach, very simple for people to learn it. I mean, it's Tetris for any other description to put it out there. You're trying to put all the pieces together and be the most efficient with putting your pieces out on the board. I don't think there's much of a hurdle for people to get over to play this game and enjoy it. What are your thoughts? I think I'm going to I'm going to kick it up a notch from you. I think this game's tremendous. I really, really, really like Planet Unknown. Uh, I can recommend this. Uh, I recommended it to Jimmy. And he was like, oh, that's great. That means you're going to be selling it soon. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> nope. Played it at the meetup a good bit. Uh, probably had a dozen different players. And I mean, I like I didn't interview each of them. But during play, folks were actively asking like, oh, where do I find this? You know, how much yeah. does – they were saying things like, this is great. Or my life before playing this game has been meaningless, uh, which are all <laughs> indicators to me that uh, that it was hitting this spot. I personally think it is a phenomenal, phenomenal game. For that reason, when I talk about who's this for, uh, you know, we were starting to say, well, you know, it's not going to blow anyone away, but it's perfectly acceptable. Made it sound like this could be an also-ran kind of game. I think the gist that we're trying to get across is that this has a wide range of appeal, uh, most. And I mean, like, I think 90% 90 of gamers most are going to like it. And uh, for me, that makes it a clear winner. It's one that I'm really enjoying, and it is... I say this from time to time. They level up. Whenever we get a review game, we review the game, and then nine times out of ten, I sell it. This one is staying. This one is not going to be sold. It's staying in the collection because I can see this getting to the table multiple times moving forward. I really liked it. Well, there you go. There's our 8-bit breakdown of Planet Unknown. year ago, we were strolling around the summer uh, playground of Cape May. Uh-huh. And there we were looking at all the pretty buildings and all the shops you could find everywhere around this wonderful, magical little village. And that's where we were one year ago, <laughs> talking about Cape May from Thunderworks Games. Shuck it, Trebek. <laughs> <laughs> But yes, uh, Cape May <laughs> is a game that I picked up because whenever I first saw the cover of the of the game, I was like, I'm in. I got to play this game. And I got it almost immediately whenever it came out. Learned it, played it, thoroughly enjoyed it. The bad thing about it is that with doing this, you don't get a chance to go back a lot to those games that you really like. This is one I really like. There was a lot of decisions make, to be made with this. A lot of the streets, you're going through the streets and you're buying up property to put out shops and different houses and kind of in a monopoly type of way, try and raise your income that you're going to get from Mm -hmm. visitors that come into Cape May every summer. So whenever you're doing this, 
you go all through the streets, but like many towns, there's one-way streets. So you can move all the way down to the bottom of this board here, get everything built up, and then you realize, I can't get back up to the top and start building more. And you're stuck, and you have to think your way out of it. So, yes, I definitely really enjoy this game. I want to revisit this game. Just talking about it here, getting this in the time warp, I I think it's going to be coming back probably in the next month. You know what? I wouldn't mind getting in on that play with you. This game's got an excellent look about it, like the curve yes. appeal of the game with the little buildings and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I love the look of the game. The gameplay, I didn't mind it. You know, I'm not going to say like, wow, it blew me away. But there is something that I like about its simplicity. Uh, yes. You mentioned, you said the M word, Monopoly, and, and you can't help but feel, now, you don't get Monopolies in this game, and it's not right. like a, a take that, or you landed on my my spot. Uh, it is not roll and move, it's used cards to move. So mm-hmm. they went with, we'll say some more modernized mechanisms for what kind of felt like an old-fashioned game. Does that make sense? That's like a you're good playing way of an old-fashioned yes. game, but you've got nicer pieces, you've got update artwork you've got you've got nice uh, movement mechanisms it felt modernized and yet there's a comfort in playing it because it felt familiar the first time i played it i felt like i had played it before not in a bad way in a good way and you use the c word that i love so much in a family show oh okay. hey, 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 hey. comfort in the fact that whenever you're playing it you have that warm, fuzzy feeling when you're playing it. And that's what I want to get out of my games. I don't want a cold, I'm going to put my foot on your throat and knock you down and beat you silly in this game. I like the comfort <laughs> of playing this. So. <laughs> There's a reason Scott doesn't like Twilight Imperium anymore. <laughs> there, there was an anti-king alliance in our play that uh, went awry. So... One year later, Cape May. Uh, Scott, I'm going to go ahead and say I will give this a conditional recommendation. I don't think that everybody's going to like it, but I think that if you have the opportunity to play it, it is worth a whirl to see if you enjoy it. There are some games I can just say, eh, this one didn't do much for me, and I don't think you're going to like it either. This one, I enjoyed it, but I can see where some folks are going to say, eh, it felt too simple or it felt too Monopoly, and others are going to say, oh, yeah, this, this hit home, this, this has a nostalgic feeling, but it's still got modern game mechanism. What do you think? A year later, Cape May. I'm glad I still have it in my collection. It, Like I said, I haven't had a chance to get it out, unfortunately, but it's still one that I really enjoy. And yes, I agree with you that I feel everyone should give it a try there because it doesn't take that long to play. So it's not something that's going to take a lot of time out of your day if you're playing a bunch of games together, but it's still something that Hey, you never know if this is going to be that one that just kind of clicks that button and it's mm-hmm. like, this is my new favorite game here. It's definitely worth giving a try for Cape May. What? More work? All right. Time to polish this dude. Scrub, scrub, rub, rub, zub, zub. Wow. I can't believe it's only been two years that this podcast year has been a thing. You know, getting to know former King and now Lord High Chief, Don Collector, Scott and Josh Patrick, it really hasn't felt like that long at all. 
It hasn't felt like two years. In fact, it's only felt like two minutes. Underwater. <laughs> yeah. Well, congratulations, you two. Ears open, you get another 20 or 40 years. Scott, as we did at the end of season one, we're going to do now. We're going to talk about some recap from this year. I got to say, first and foremost, adventurers, those of you that have been here from the get-go, thank you so much. We're so glad to have you. And if you're joining us recently, or maybe today's your first episode, we do hope that you stick with us. Uh, we, we love to chat. We love to talk gaming. We like to see folks at the meetups. So this wouldn't happen without you. So from both of us, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you all. Scott, season two saw 38 episodes, which coincidentally was actually, that was actually one shorter than our first year. I couldn't believe it. I was like, oh man, we're, we're on a tear, but things slowed down as uh, the Renaissance Festival picked up. We didn't have as many side quests and that's okay. I, I took on a job too. So, you know, life happens. We're doing this for fun. So, you know, priorities don't hold it against us. Now, one thing to keep in mind here is that this is a show that comes out twice a week. No, uh, no, uh, not twice no. a week, uh, every two weeks. <laughs> so, every two um, weeks, yes. that would be 26 episodes. Yeah, 26, or if the year started funky with the Thursdays, you could see 27, but we ended up with 38. So we did have our fair share of side quests. Yes, Scott, we did. We had 11 guests on the show this year. Oh, wow. Yeah, starting all the way back with our Borderlands, uh, what a Mr. Torg's oh, Arena yes. of Badassery when we had John on. Uh, I cannot wait to get that Kickstarter in. I'm still jonesing for it. The updates lately haven't given us an actual time frame, but, you know, it's been a year since the Kickstarter. So mm-hmm. I'm hoping that sometime in 2023, uh, we'll finally get our hands on that one. Good, good, good. Speaking of Kickstarters, we did our side quest for a handful of very successful Kickstarters, including Borderlands, Solar 175, we had Omicron Protocol, Lunar Rush, and Familiars and Foes. Our our most recent with uh, Chris and Jordan was a delight to have them Mm -hmm. on the show, too. Yeah, and one of the things that's great with that is hearing those and knowing how they've gone on to become friends of ours, actually. Yeah. Uh, like Bernie, uh, especially there with uh, Dead Alive Games. He's been uh, great chatting with and anything like that. So it's it's been a lot of fun. Scott, this year, be it from us in short form or 8-bit breakdown form or side quest form or from one of our contributors, in in some capacity, we talked about 186 games. Wow. Holy cow. I had no idea we played so many. Yeah, we're nerds. <laughs> <laughs> now, while we don't do any sort of crowdfunding for ourselves, we don't do uh, what a Patreon, we don't have our own Kickstarter, in no way do we collect funds mm-hmm. for the show. We do partner with, with not sponsors, but we partner with companies for promo codes. And we like to hammer home from time to time adventures that these promo codes, we don't get anything out of them that's strictly like our partnership with people, uh, most recently Dragon Dawn Productions. I actually messaged Ren, uh, who is in charge at Dragon Dawn, and I said, hey, we're not looking for money. We're not looking for a sponsorship, but we really like to be able to tell adventurers about your games. And maybe you could throw them a bone and do a 10% off or some kind of a coupon. How about this? We're up to six, six promo codes. We've got Dragon Dawn Productions. We've got Titans Cardholders. 
everything Crokinola Brown Castle games. Man, we've been hitting Brown Castle mm-hmm. games hard. The op, we've got to deal with the op with the uh, free shipping. Oh yes. 10% off from Mondo Games, and we still have Everdell and the Everdell Collector's Edition and Nemo's War from Tabletop Tycoon. That's that's all just because these guys have thrown us a bone, which is kind of cool. You know, like yep, we yep. can use them, sure, but to be able to pass that on to other people, that feels like quite an accomplishment. Three of those being new in year two. So I thought that was another, we can hang our hat on this. Yes, yes, we can. Scott, moving forward into year three, the the biggest of changes. I don't think we're going to change a whole lot as far as the formatting goes. We were talking about maybe nixing the the user submitted audio, but I think we're going to keep it for the time being. We you know recently had some folks express their interest in submitting some audio for the show, so we're going to keep it for the time being. Our biggest change uh, in adventures. You heard this in last week's side quest. We're going to try and incorporate our contributors as regular hosts more often. Now, we're actually, we're using new software today. We switched from Zencaster to Riverside. We're going to try and see if we can get four voices on the show at once and, and make it sound as crisp and clear, give you that level up quality that we, we actually pride ourselves on quite a bit. Uh, <laughs> but we're going to have Josh on more regularly and Ryan and Will and Andrew, and sometimes two of them or three of them. I'm really excited to see how that works out. Not excited to edit it though. <laughs> <laughs> One other thing that I know was pretty impressive was whenever I went around and was talking to different vendors at PAX, and I said about we're part of a Level Up board game podcast, and we've had about 77 episodes, the number of them that said, wow, they were really surprised that we had so many episodes there. Mm -hmm. Number one, I got to thank you, Patrick, for doing all the work behind the scenes of editing and getting it out to the listeners and also to all the adventurers. Thank you. We would not be here if it was not for you listening, just having a good time talking with us. So we really, truly appreciate you. Hey, adventurers. This is James. I'm Paul. From Stone Sword Games. And this year, we leveled up with the Level Up Board Game Podcast. Congrats on the year, guys. It was awesome. (laughs) Bye. Scott, in lieu of discussions today, we're going to do a top five and then a top ten so we can get out of here. It's getting late. We're going to start with our top games of the most recent ten that we have reviewed. All right. Now, that list is going to include The Stuff of Legend, Living Forest, Transmissions, God Tier, Block and Key, Familiars and Foes, The Spill, Rise of the Gnomes, Burn Cycle, and barrage 10 games we need to calibrate and let adventures know which ones were our top five from among them we'll do five to one do you want the lead or do you want me to take it i will take the lead all right king number five number five for me and once again i'm gonna use that c word once more that is comfort Uh, uh that comes with transmissions okay this was a very simple game to play but it was one of those games that you got in, you looked at it, you looked at your cards, and things started clicking together in your head, and you're like, yeah, I got this. I got to figure it out now. And it was nice and comfortable to play. It yeah. wasn't anything that major or that massive. Like, it didn't shake the grounds of Valhalla and everything saying, let me in. But it was just a fun game to play. 
and it was just like relaxing to play. And now at the time, whenever we played it, that's what I wanted. I just wanted a relaxing thing to play and take my mind off of things I was going through at the time. So transmissions is my number five. My number five is block and key. And Scott, I got to tell you, it was really easy to to determine my top four. But this five spot, there were like four more games that could have been in this spot. And ultimately, I went with the game that does best what it's trying to do best. And that's block and key. It's easy to set up. Catches the eye with that double board, those chunky clay blocks. Plays in about 10, 15 minutes. So it's really easy to just go again or play a best of three. Right. I liked it at all the player counts, and I think it's one that we're going to have at most meetups going forward or maybe like on the ready for the filler game while game day is waiting to fire up. That's my number five, block and key. All right. My number four was the spill. Once again, it's one of those ones that you look at it on a table and you're like, wow, what is that? Let me know. Please tell me more. Granted, we lost horribly at it. (laughs) (laughs) And it kind of rehashes the pandemic feel of things here with with the way that you work all together. But it was still something that was just a little bit different than the normal pandemic that you would play. Um, Dump all the dice in there. You don't know where it's going to go. Trying to save all the sea animals and move your boats around to make sure that things are taken care of. It was a nice experience. Granted, yeah, it was a little stressful because you're like, oh, God, oh, God, we we get one more animal. We're, we're, get, we're all going to die. And, of course, we got that one animal, and we all died. Of course. The spill was my number four. Good times with that one. My number four is Living Forest, and it's hard to argue with the HBO winner. This game packs a bunch of meaningful decisions into a short play time. And when I say meaningful, I mean like you've got a choice or two on your turn, and it's going to directly impact the rest of your game. So you have to be mindful of what you're doing and why. It's easy to teach, and yet you don't feel like you're playing an introductory-level board game. It's a game that over time I think you can actually improve your skill at, which probably sounds dumb because that's like every game. But you know how some games you've, you can play it a dozen times and like the newbie can sit down and manage to beat you? Not here. Uh, this is a fast playing game that rewards skill. It's got charm and it's my number four, Living Forest. Now, number three is kind of odd for me because my number three is God Tier. Ah, and yeah. that one at the time, I wasn't all that thrilled about it. But upon looking at it and seeing all the different expansions that you get for it, there's a lot in there to make this game really, really good. Uh, And I'm the miniatures guy, so I really enjoy the miniatures. They look gorgeous. It's just a fun skirmish little game there. I, I, I feel like I've kind of moved on past the... Massive army uh, games of Warhammer Fantasy, Age of Sigmar, 40K, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm more into more of the skirmish type of games. And that's what I enjoy there. So God Tier is my number three. My number three is The Stuff of Legend, which, as we mentioned in the episode with Josh, he and I reviewed this one, so you will not find it on Scott's list. This is a semi-co-op, like a hidden trader game where you play as a little boy's toys. The little boy has been abducted by the boogeyman and taken into the closet, which, by the way, we do the little flavor track after our How to Play. And damn it, Adventures, I was really proud of that flavor track on The Stuff of Legend. If you haven't checked that episode out, uh, give it a listen. Stuff of Legend 
Origin was a phenomenal game. Played it at Origins. It had that stand up and, and cheer moment at the end of it with total strangers, which to me, that leads me to believe that this is going to be a smash hit when I have it with the groups that I'm more familiar with. So my number three, the stuff of legend. Uh, my number two is blocking key. Now Dang. this here, to be honest, I have a history with the owner of Inside Up Games. Mm-hmm. Uh, many years ago, I was with him in the hallway playing with two other strangers, Summit, whenever it first came out. So he was little old Connor just trying to get his game out there. And now then, Summit is Trey Parker's favorite cooperative game ever from South Park. So, <laughs> of course, I'm following everything that Inside Up Games does. And Block and Key came out. I saw the setup of it at different cons, and he was always going about how excited he was about getting it out. Whenever I finally got it in my hands, it was a wonderful experience because those blocks that you have that you're putting on the board, those things feel like you just dug them up out of the dirt. They are chunky. They are heavy. I mean, it is a great feeling to play that game there. It's very quick to play, but it's one that has a great appearance on the table, and it's something that's very, very simple to play, very quick in between a couple of different games. And so Blocking Key is my number two. My number two is Rise of the Gnomes, which was suggested by Will and then provided by August Games for us to review. So I had to rank them high since it was free from the publisher. Ooh. <laughs> Scott, this is an area control worker placement game that has players competing with each other to get the most customers for their breweries, all while the game provides an NPC faction, the Gnomes, who left unchecked will absolutely win the game every time. Let me tell you what I love about this game. You've got like 30 different factions that you can play as, each with unique upgrades. The board is variable, as are the actions of the gnomes in any given round. The number of worker placement spots gives you so many options, but the iconography is intuitive, so you don't find yourself in and out of the rulebook while you're playing. Now, take this as you will, but this game can get nasty, and I think some gamers are going to love that. Some won't. For me, that kicked it up a notch. I love the shenanigans. I love how aggressive it can be, and I think that makes each play a memorable experience. So my number two was Rise of the Gnomes. Well, I feel that this may be the same for both of us. Let's find out. And my game here, this is a love-hate relationship. Because I have to say, number one was Barrage. The love is that this is a clever game. It is a lot of fun to play this. There's a lot of decision-making in it, a lot of decisions. And each one is just so interdependent on the other one and where your opponents are going to be putting things. There's so much going on here. The hate part of it is... I hate the game because I can never do do good in it at all. <laughs> but I still love the mechanics of it and how everything works. It's oh, you've had some good plays. Now don't beat yourself up. I think you won once. Uh, once out of like five times or something. <laughs> but you keep on doing it and you're like, I should do it this way the next time. And then you go back and you play it again and it doesn't work, but Maybe I should try it this way this time. Man, you go back and try it again. How exciting a game about running water through dams can possibly be, but this one here was a lot of fun. Yes, indeed. Scott, my number one 
is barrage and no. it wasn't <laughs> even close uh when we started when i started making my list you know i have one through five number one i hit barrage before even looking at what the other nine nine games were it's that good i'll give you an example so i'm scrolling down the facebook page today and somebody posts in like board game geek or something they're like oh hey have you guys played carnegie i had the chance to play this on bga and because i played it there i loved it so much that i bought myself a copy and I, my response was you know what? it's interesting i i played Carnegie so much on Board Game Arena that I felt like I had my fill and I didn't need to get a copy. And you know what? Most mm -hmm. games on Board Game Arena do that. Not this one. I have sought out and bought a copy of Barrage after having played it 20 times already. <laughs> uh, it is that good. Uh, all the elements with the worker placements, how you spend your resources, and they go onto the wheel. It's complex. And at times it's frustrating. But man, when it all comes together, what a rewarding game this is. To me, Barrage encapsulates what I want in a Euro game. I want options, variability, and most of all, I want to feel like my careful planning and strategic play have paid off. Whether it results in a win or a loss, I want to feel like I've done something, like I've earned that win. Or when I lose, I want to be able to sit mm -hmm. back and analyze the game and determine what the pivotal moments in the game were. For that reason, my number one game of the last 10 that we reviewed was very easy to determine, and it was Barrage. Very, very cool. Um, I could be wrong here, Patrick, but uh, they just played the music and we're still in the same room. We're in the same spot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it's got, it's, it's kind of embarrassing. What are we doing? List. We're going to do our top oh, 10. Oh, we're going to yes, yes. Yes. The wrap up from season two, the final reference to season two. We reviewed a ton of games and we want to do our top 10 from each of the eight bit breakdown features from season two. What are the best of the year that we reviewed. Scott, how about this time? I'll go first. You go second so that we are, uh, so that it's different and it feels new and exciting in that way. Sure. That sounds great. <laughs> Take it away. Right, Patrick. Let's kick it off. I'm going to start with Origins, the first builders. This is a dice placement game where your dice are aging. You have tiles that you're using to build out your cities. Eventually your dice will, will go in between the, the, the spaces in between those octagonal tiles. Something about Origins makes me want to keep coming back to it. I like the look of it. I like the challenge of it. It feels strategic. It feels complex. My number 10 is Origins first builders. Builders. Well, my number 10, I go back to Inside Up Games here in a game that's not out exactly just yet, and that was Earth. And oh, yes. last week, I was sitting down and playing Ark Nova, and mm -hmm. it just occurred to me that Ark Nova and Earth are very, very similar in that you are in a way that you're building an earth area you're you're building an environment and all these things are going on in a habitat environment whatever you want to call it instead of building with a huge deck of all these animals that are completely different you're building this with a huge deck of environments and habitats that are completely different it works well with trying to make sure that you have certain cards in certain places that take bonuses off each other. So you want to build that engine up as you're going along here. So Earth was my number 10. My number nine is Corrosion. I thought Corrosion was excellent. What with the gears and the aging machine. So you're going to, you're going to create an engine, but the engine is over time going to fail. You're hiring workers that are going to embellish the way that you play and they're going to have little, little bonuses for you as you're taking your turns. I thought Corrosion was a lot of fun. I put it at number nine. What you got for number nine, Scott? 
Well, my number nine was your number 10, and that was Origins. Hey, how and about that? this one had a lot of different mechanics put in this with the aging dice going into the Coliseum for fights and all these different things going on that shouldn't work together, but did. I really enjoyed it. It was a complete surprise that I wasn't even looking into this game at all. And we sat down, we played it, and thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. And yes. I, I would love to go back and revisit this game again sometime in the future. So that is Origins. My number eight is Moonrakers from Ivy Studios. You know, the, the shade that we threw against it was, oh, there's a little hint of Catan in that somebody's going to get really close to 10 points and get beat up on a bit. But to me, mm -hmm. that was one of the benefits of the game. I love that you've got all kinds of ways to, like, make your ship different, make your deck different. It's deck building that incorporates negotiation, Felt yes. unique in that regard. They've got all kinds of expansions now. I think they have a digital version of the game or like an accompanying app coming out. I've kind of lost oh, track of gorgeous. what the new updates are with Moonrakers because I'm actually tapping into other things from IV Studios. I love them so much. And it all started with Moonrakers. My number eight. <laughs> oh, this is going to hurt here whenever I say this. My number eight is, well, we did a show of Nemesis and Nemesis Lockdown. Mm -hmm. Now then, my number eight is for Nemesis, and definitely not for Nemesis Lockdown. <laughs> I did not care for that one. Nemesis itself, <laughs> Nemesis itself tapped into that first Alien movie feeling for me. Oh, yeah. You just had this boogeyman wandering around the ship trying to find you, and you're trying to get your way out, and you can hear the sirens going off, and the ship is trying to reach its destination, and you have to hurry up and get it done. So Nemesis really tapped into that for me. I really, really enjoyed that. Nemesis Lockdown, I don't know what the disconnect was for me in that game, but it just didn't hit like the first one. So still, number eight for me is nemesis no second part <laughs> scott my number seven is earth uh earth for most of the reasons that you said you know it's got a lot going for it namely you know there is there's i don't want to say an influx but i tend to like these games that have a simple rule set and a giant deck of cards think terraforming mm -hmm. mars think wingspan dog park arc nova and earth it's that bill. You know, it, it's, yeah. it's another one in that lineup. It does something that I really like. Uh, I love the pieces that you're stacking them and whatnot. I like that you get to like, when someone takes an action, you get to do a minor version of it. So the downtime's kept to a minimum. I thought it was an excellent game and it's my number seven earth. My number seven was the hunger. Now oh, okay. this one here was you're playing vampires trying to run out and, commit mass chaos and have a smorgasbord of little German people, I'm guessing, Eat them and spicy get back people. to the castle, <laughs> get back to the castle before the sun comes up. Yeah. So it's very timed very closely there for you. There were some things with it that I was kind of thinking it would be nicer if there was a few more turns to it to let it go a little bit longer. And the board was like incredibly shiny, but there was just something about the base mechanics of it and playing that game that was just a lot of fun. And I really had a good time playing it. And I know that they have an expansion out for it now. So I don't know. I might have to check that out and uh, get hunger back to the table again here soon. 
My number six is Meeples and Monsters. This one's from AEG, and I think it's a little bit overlooked. Like, I never heard Buzz. I never saw anyone sharing a photo or anything about it, but I really like it. We've got a worker placement game where you can upgrade your workers. All five, yeah, all five of the workers that you have available, they're represented by little Meeples. They have a card at the bottom of the board, and that card can get upgraded throughout play. Furthermore, it's a bag builder, much like Orleans, but instead of chips going into the bag, it's the Meeples. So it does a lot of things that I like, and I thought it made for an excellent game. I haven't played it for a while. Last time I played it was at the last meetup at the vault, but I'm telling you what, I showed four people how to play it. Vault had two copies. They were gone at the end of the day. It's an excellent game. (laughs) Meeples and Monsters. What you got for number five, Scott? Number five or number six? What you got for your number six, Scott? (laughs) Number six is Meeples and Monsters. No kidding. Uh, How about that? Yes. Yeah, you're right. It was one that if I looked at the box, it would be like, oh, okay, yeah, I'll give it a try. But you wouldn't know the fun that was in that game. Uh, I thoroughly enjoyed it with the Scott, I bag feel like building. you wouldn't know the fun in a game by looking at the box for any game. Well, no, there are some that you look at and it's like, yeah, this is for me. <laughs> Fair this enough. one here I'm looking at and it's like, I don't know if this is really my cup of tea, but Whenever we played it, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. Building up your bag with the the extra, like the barbarians and different things like that, was so much oh, fun. Unlocking and then, the special meeples, you can get yes. unlock the purple pal. Oh, I want to play. And this then you get to too. the point you reach in, like, oh, let's see, does that feel like one? Does that? Oh no, it's just a white one. All right, and you just play. But there's a lot of fun built into this. That and that's the big thing there fun it's not something that feels like it's work whenever you're playing the game it's just a fun game to enjoy so meeples and monsters is my number six my number five is one that i've heard a lot of folks don't much care for i think it's a little bit divisive in that you either like it or you don't and i fall on the i like it side and that's merchants of the dark road uh it's a game where you're running your carriage across a rondelle taking actions at each of the spots that you go to you're basically the merchant selling things to the heroes you're not the heroes you're the guy that's going around and picking them up and dropping them off and getting them to their destinations and scoring points for doing so so a unique theme a lot going on in the game something about it just keeps me coming back it might be the deluxe feel what with the upgraded components teacher ryan actually sent me the metal coins so now whenever i play i get that clickety clack <laughs> clink clink sound so yeah I, I love when i get it to the table and it's my number five merchants of the dark road we're gonna split off here a little bit because my number five is one that kind of got lost in the shuffle of all sorts of things coming out and that was Lockup from Thunderworks Games. And this takes place in the same wonderful world that cartographers and role player and all those games take place in. But you're in jail and you're trying to bribe the guards, get to the yard and lift your weights and be able to go out and threaten everyone else and say, yeah, 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 get away from my friends. You're trying to get your like this whole business built up inside of this jail. And it is just a fun game trying to put your workers in different places where other players aren't. And you have the different numbers of one through seven as what what token you can put out. So you're going to be bidding in a way of uh, what section you're going to be going to. Really a great game that's, like I said, kind of overlooked at times there. So my I number agree. five is Lockup. 
My number four is one that I've been trying to get a hold of ever since I sold it to Nikki. It now resides in Nikki's basement. She picked it up for me at a convention in D.C. because she had a great price on it. And I said, yeah, when I'm done, I'll sell it to you. And that is Return to Dark Tower. This mm-hmm. is a game that uses a companion app. Return to Dark Tower does a lot of things that I like. I like that there's variability in with the baddie that you pick and the characters that you're going to play. I like that it's relatively simple to play. It's a co-op that I thoroughly enjoy, though it does have competitive modes as well. And frankly, the toy factor does get to me sometimes. I love the big tower. I like the stupid sounds that it makes. You know, that, oh, we don't need a toy at our game. You know what? I need a toy in my game, and I like it, so back (laughs) off. My number four is Return to Dark Tower. Well, my number four, you had already talked about, and that was Corrosion. It just clicked for me. Whenever I got it, and whenever you have all those things that are turning around, and you have the room that spins around, and you have to do this and do that, and add the ongoing parts of this machine. Uh, I loved it whenever someone uh, described the machines as R2-D2, Lisa Simpson, and I forget what the, <laughs> the third one was. Okay, so each um, of the tiles has a pattern at the top. And the one, it's just a semicircle. So the guy called it R2-D2. The yep. other one was like three spikes, and he called it Lisa, Lisa Simpson. Simpson. That, that's what you're getting at here. Yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> uh, I think yeah, the other one was Bender. You're right. You're right. That's what it was. Yes. It's just one of those games that have a lot of things going on to it, and the gears added so much. The gears were kind of the money of the game, mm-hmm. if you will. Great game. I keep on looking at it. I keep on wanting to get it out, but there's something else that I need to get learned or something like that ahead of time. But this is definitely on my short pile of games to get back to the table, and that is Corrosion. My number three is The Great Wall from Awakened Realms. This game Ooh. is phenomenal. Uh, borrowed this one from Nikki. It's another one that resides in Nikki's basement. <laughs> we can't afford review games. <laughs> the Great Wall is a fantastic game where you are competing with the other players and yet you're working together because you have these invading forces. The Mongols are coming and you can't let them breach the wall so you kind of have to work together but there will be a winner at the end and that is whoever scores the most points. It's a worker placement game. It's also kind of an action solution election game with fantastic fantastic table presence with those three walls you can get the meeple version you mm-hmm. can get the minis version we played the meeple version and i thought it was exquisite i think that the miniatures version if that's your thing would probably hit home just as hard it's my number three the great wall what you got for number three scott well my number three i talked about with our top five and that was barrage mm-hmm. and all the decisions you had to make in it you felt rewarded after you were done playing it. The decisions to make and figuring out, you look at it and try and picture where the water is going to go down through and what power. Um, conduit. Uh, 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 yes, what conduit it would go through, how you're going to block off things from other players and block yeah. it off with your dam. So many things that go on in it. And you can't help but feel that you did something special whenever you're at the end of that game because there are so many decisions to be made. So my number three is Barrage. Scott, my number two was your number eight, and that is Nemesis slash Nemesis Lockdown. And I will include Lockdown in mine. I thought it was just as good. And in some ways, there there are some things about it that I like a little bit better, namely the elevator that can move you from floor to floor. Nemesis 
is like the pinnacle of capturing a thematic experience. The suspicion mm-hmm. of the other players, the tension when you're moving around, the, the ship progressively degrading what with the malfunctions and the fires, it tells a story Every time I'm going to call it my go-to game when I want a thematic experience. It's been a hit every time. And it's my number two nemesis. My number two is one of yours from back yonder. And that is merchants of the dark road. And this one here, you kind of have fun being the guy who knows a guy, you know, (laughs) whenever like the adventurers go into the inn and they get a drink and, Hey, we're looking for uh, some uh, armor. Oh, so you're like I know a red a guy. from Shawshank. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like I know a guy, and you happen to be that guy. Uh, there's so many different decisions to be made. Each one of the little areas you go on, whenever you're going around the board, give you a different type of gaming mechanic to play with each time. It's like playing one big game of five mini games. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. really a, a a great design. And like you said, the upgraded components really do a lot to make this experience that much better. So number two is Merchants of the Dark Road. All right, Scott, it is that time. We're down to each of our number one game from all the reviews of season two. Mm-hmm. My number one. Oh, my number one is, and I said in the top five, it was by a long shot. Here, it was really close between Great Wall, Nemesis, Dark Tower. But ultimately, my favorite game that we reviewed this year was Barrage. Uh, it Ooh. does everything that I want a Euro to do. I'm not going to believe it. The point is, I just spoke about it. I don't think it's a game for everybody. It is not a welcoming game. It's a game that right. can get nasty. But, oh, my goodness, when it... When it sings, it sings. And it is my number one barrage. What you got, King Scott? Well, my number one was Return to Dark Tower. And my big thing with that is that I so thoroughly enjoyed the idea that it wasn't just one guy against the tower. You were actually going around ramping up, building these armies of hundreds of men that you're going on to take the Dark Tower. Mm-hmm. Plus the um, uh, companion app. It worked seamlessly with the tower <laughs> itself. And you didn't know what was going to happen. You're sitting here waiting, 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 waiting. And then nothing happens on your side. And you feel already like, yeah, I just won. Granted, you're probably like, halfway to dead but you didn't have anything light up that time so you won and putting <laughs> the skulls in the top of the tower each turn it's just so much oh, fun and some with that. come out and some don't yeah yes it was just such a wonderful experience so return to dark tower was my number one scott it's amazing last year we didn't have quite as much crossover in our top 10 games of the year. So uh, across the two of us for season two, there were actually eight games that made it into each of our top tens. And those games mm-hmm. are Earth, Origins, Nemesis, Meeples and Monsters, Corrosion, Barrage, Merchants of the Dark Road, and Return to Dark Tower. If you did the math and you took each of our numbers and took the average to say, what are our favorite games combined? Our collective number one would be Barrage, closely followed by Dark Tower, and then Merchants of the Dark Road hit home for Mm -hmm. each of us. Adventures, if you can buy just a handful of games each year that you listen to us talk about, those are the winners, our top 
10. Well, Patrick, it's come to that time where we need to say goodbye to episode 79 and hello to episode 80 coming up over the horizon here before we actually know it. So we always look back at the end of our episodes and we think of how we've leveled up, where we've done something in our lives to make our journey in this world a little bit better. I'm going to jump in here. My way I leveled up was at the last packs sitting upstairs in the media room. The looking la- oh, down so the one that we upon. just had last week. Yeah. Yes. Looking down over that, it was such a, a mind-bending experience. How how many times I've been to cons and be sitting down there looking up at that room like, wow, what's it look like from up there? And we were actually up there looking down. And I know I posted a thing on uh, Facebook about this and on Instagram, but Truly, this was something that I had to thank the adventurers for, because if they didn't listen to us and didn't download, we would not be considered media. We would not be considered having a podcast, anything like that in the eyes of packs or origins or anything like that at all. Mm -hmm. And I hope that we are able to bring that to all the listeners and show them like some games that they may like and may have a good time with and eventually get a chance to get together and play a game together. So that's what I, I leveled up with was getting finally up there to look down upon it and see such a great community of people, of gamers, all together at one place. That was a very satisfying experience because last year we didn't even apply for the media badges. We felt like, oh, we're so new. And then yep. we got them for Origins and we got them for Gen Con. And, and then at PAX we got them to, to be up there and to be able to look down. It's not like an, oh, I made it. Like we're a very small fish in a very small pond. But it did feel like, you know what? All, all the energy that we're putting into it is providing value for folks. You know, people mm-hmm. are listening and, and hopefully enjoying what we have to say or feel like we're friends with them or, you know, I'm going to check in with the king and see what he's got for me on the menu this time. <laughs> that all culminated with, you know, being up there together, you and I and, and, and uh, Ryan and Josh and being able to, to soak in that moment just for a minute. You know, it, 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 it's fleeting. It goes away quick. But there is that dashing moment of like, okay. We're, we're doing something cool here. Yes, yes. And Scott, how le- did you level up? Scott, my level up this go-round is going to be courtesy of you because I wasn't initially invited. <laughs> so <laughs> you're working with Berkey, and uh, he invited everyone out for noodles. And, uh, you know, the gang of employees for Game Toppers went, and you said, hey, I got a guy who, who's looking to join if you'd be so kind. And, and I did, so I got to go uh, have a meal with you folks. And... I got to tell you, Berkey's a, a nice guy. He's a warm presence. You feel within 10 minutes of meeting him like you've known him for years. Uh, I can see why his company's successful, a quality product. But just being able to kick back with him, he had that, like Rob uh, from from Over Battle was there. And we got to kick it off with Rob and, and meet some other people. That was a really nice time. And it felt like, ah, you know, this is a home away from home now. That is my level up. And And that's one of the biggest things there that I always go on about is just how important this community is to so many people. I love being part of it. Glad to be going on this journey with you here as well. 
Adventures, if you didn't have the chance to get back and listen to episode 78, our recap from PAX, we actually have something like nine interviews with publishers on the floor, just a couple minutes each, so we give you like a quick feeling of being on the con floor. Next week, I've got Explorer Josh joining me in the studio. We're going to be talking all about board game tables, games. We have like half a dozen that we're going to rapid fire tell you all about. We hope you join us. Scott, you get the final word. Oh, well, I think the final word really is looking at we're getting close to the end of the year. Try not to look at all the things that went wrong. Take a moment to look at all the things that went right. Be happy and go into the new year with a great outset and a great outlook for the future. I'll see you next year, Scott. Sounds good, buddy. See you then. adventurers for joining us for this episode of the Level Up Board Game Podcast. We encourage all adventurers to check out our website at levelupgamepodcast.com. That's where you can submit your thoughts and audio to be used in a future episode. Please consider rating us on iTunes, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter and Instagram, and join the Board Game Geek Guild, Guild 3722. Music for the podcast provided by Adam Haynes and the Heatley Brothers. And remember, whether in hobby or in life, always do what you can to level up.